Okay, so today we'll take a look at Deuteronomy uh, 24, and we can see that uh, the focus is on relationship. Uh, it speaks about relationship uh, with our spouse in the context of marriage and divorce. It talks about relationship with the people that we're lending uh, money to. Uh, then it speaks about relationships uh, in the context of uh, intergenerational sins. Then it speaks about uh, relationship with the laborers and also with the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and that is where it ends. So the first uh, four verses, uh, they deal with uh, marriage and divorce, and the fifth verse is also in the same context. Uh, it speaks about the first uh, year of marriage. So we'll read uh, the first five verses, then take it from there. Yeah. Okay, so we are seeing that uh, one of the emphasis uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, as we are looking at different laws, uh, the focus uh, is on purity. It's, the focus is on holiness uh, because God is holy. And here again, we see that uh, in the context of marriage and divorce, uh, it's again connected to holiness and sin. And we'll see how it's treated. So we see uh, the first wedding that took place uh, in Genesis uh, 2.24, where it says, uh, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So that is the first uh, wedding that takes place, which is instituted by God, where a man and a woman are brought together into one flesh. And the last uh, wedding that we read about is in Revelation 19, 7, uh, where it says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. So it speaks about the marriage between the Lord and the church, uh, which he redeemed uh, with his precious blood. So we see that the first wedding and the last wedding uh, is a picture uh, of perfection, but everything that we see in between uh, in the Bible and also in our present world, uh, we see that uh, the relationship that was established uh, in the Garden of Eden has been distorted uh, because of the disobedience of man, uh, which has led to deviation from God's plan. And whenever we deviate uh, from God's plan, uh, it leads to uh, strife uh, in relationships, uh, it leads to sins, and it leads to broken marriages and weak marriages. And that is what we see in today's world. There is a lot of, uh, a lot of strife, and uh, things have departed from the way the Lord set it up. So that is where the focus is in verses one through four. But we need to keep in mind, uh, even though we are given instructions about how to divorce and things like that, uh, it was never part of God's uh, original or God's perfect plan. But at the same time, the Lord knew that people will be rebellious, uh, they will disobey. So that is why uh, certain laws are put in place so that there are some boundaries uh, that can be set uh, in the context of relationship, and the people are not abused uh, in a relationship. So in verses one and two, uh, it speaks about the divorce, uh, the process, uh, and the rationale, or the condition. So it says that the husband uh, initiates divorce uh, for some defilement uh, in the wife. So it's not really stated uh, what the uncleanness is. Uh, it could be uh, uh, the sin of uh, adultery or any other sin. But so there is a reason that is given for breaking the covenant 
uh, it cannot be simply that the husband gets up in the morning and decides to break that relationship. So there must be a sound reason. And once that is done, we see that a certificate uh, is given uh, in the hand of the wife. And once uh, that is given, that terminates uh, the marriage. And by having the certificate uh, in hand, uh, it also gives the wife uh, the right to marry again. So a husband cannot uh, have multiple wives like this. Uh, so once he decides to break the covenant, uh, he has to make it clear by giving the certificate so that the wife uh, also has the freedom uh, to go away from that relationship. Uh, in verses three and four, uh, it speaks about remarriage. So the woman uh, who is divorced, uh, it's possible that she may remarry. And it says that if the husband number two dies, or if her second husband, uh, he also divorces her, then she cannot go back to the first husband. So the Lord says the marriage uh, should be taken uh, seriously. Uh, so we cannot be experimenting uh, back and forth uh, in a covenant uh, relationship. Uh, once we enter uh, the marriage covenant, uh, we should take it seriously and be fully committed to it. So we cannot uh, keep changing our mind uh, by going back and forth. And in the New Testament also, we find a lot of teachings, a lot of verses uh, in the context of uh, divorce and marriage. And it also speaks about uh, what to do when your spouse is not a believer. So in New Testament, in Matthew uh, chapter 19, verses 8 and 9, uh, it reminds us that the divorce uh, happens not because uh, it is in God's plan, but it is happening because of the hardness of our heart, or it is happening because of disobedience. Uh, it's happening because of the rebellious uh, nature that uh, all of us have. So in Matthew 19, 8 and 9, it says, He saith unto them, Moses, uh, because of the hardness of your heart, uh, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, uh, it was not so. So the emphasis is from the beginning, uh, it was not part of God's plan, but it is because of the hardness of heart uh, that these conditions uh, prevailed. And Paul uh, reminds us in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 10 and 11, and unto the married I command, uh, yet not I, but the Lord, uh, let not the wife uh, depart uh, from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled uh, to her husband, and let not the husband uh, put away his wife. So again, Paul is saying the teaching of the Lord is that uh, the husband or the wife, uh, they should not uh, depart uh, from the spouse. So there might be valid reasons that people can come up with, uh, there might be rational reasons, but no matter what the reason is, uh, any reason can be forgiven, uh, any mistake, uh, any failure can be forgiven, and the couple can be reconciled, uh, and the divorce avoided. So that is where the hardness of heart comes. So when there is hardness of heart, uh, it's not possible to forgive, uh, it is not possible to reconcile. So that is why we see uh, many broken marriages and we see uh, many divorce uh, taking place. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, uh, 12 to 16, uh, Paul speaks about uh, what happens when your spouse uh, is an unbeliever. 
Yeah, so here again, uh, the emphasis is that if a relationship has taken place or if they've come into marriage, then they should not uh, separate. So here it says, if the unbelieving spouse, whether it's a husband or a wife, uh, if one person is a believer and the other person is not a believer, but if the unbeliever is willing to continue in that marriage, then the believer uh, should continue and he should not uh, use that as an excuse to abandon the spouse or to break uh, that relationship. And it further says that the unbelieving spouse uh, is sanctified uh, by the believing spouse or the unbelieving spouse uh, is also able to receive the blessing uh, because the spouse uh, is a believer and the children are made holy uh, by the believing spouse. So we see that there is a blessing uh, even in continuing uh, that uh, relationship. And the instruction is very clear that if the unbeliever wants to continue, then a believer cannot uh, separate or leave that marriage. But at the same time, it says if the unbelieving spouse, uh, if they choose to leave or if they choose to leave uh, voluntarily uh, for whatever reason, uh, in that case, the believer is not under bondage, so they can uh, end or end that relationship. And in Matthew chapter 19 and also Matthew 5, uh, it reminds us that uh, marrying a divorced uh, person uh, is prohibited. So it says in 19.9, whoso marrieth her, which is put away, uh, doth commit uh, adultery. And again, in Matthew 5, 31 and 32, it says, uh, it has been said, uh, whosoever shall put away his wife, uh, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, uh, saving uh, for the cause of fornication, uh, causes her to commit uh, adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, uh, committed uh, adultery. So here again, uh, we need to keep in mind that the Lord is giving uh, instructions or he's not giving the freedom uh, to divorce, uh, even when there is fornication, even when there is adultery. The first uh, step or the preferred choice uh, is to forgive uh, and to reconcile and to avoid the divorce. But if it happens, then the person who's getting divorced uh, they cannot uh, remarry because then they would be committing uh, adultery. So, so we see that uh, when we are going through the laws uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, many of the laws uh, seem to be very harsh and the sin and the punishment seems to be very harsh. But we often see in the scriptures that the door of forgiveness uh, is always uh, open uh, because our God uh, is a God of love, uh, even though he's a God of justice. Uh, he's able to balance that uh, in a very beautiful way. So even though it's hard for us uh, to, uh, to imagine in our mind how love and justice can coexist, but we see that the Lord is able to bring that balance uh, in our lives, uh, even though the punishment for sin is death or the punishment for sin is the wrath of God. Uh, when we repent or when we seek uh, forgiveness, uh, we are able to receive uh, God's grace. Uh, we are able to receive uh, God's uh, forgiveness. And that is, uh, we read that in Jeremiah chapter 3 also, verses 1 through 5. Uh, again, in the context of relationship, it says, uh, they say if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, 
shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. So it's speaking about uh, us. Uh, we, so when we are committing sin, we are essentially committing uh, adultery because we are wedded to Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. But the Lord is always calling us back. He says, uh, yet return again to me, saith the Lord, and he will give us mercy. So we need to keep that in mind that the door of forgiveness uh, is always open. And as the Bible says, where sin abounded, uh, grace abounded much more. And we'll conclude with this in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 to 9, uh, where again the Pharisees, uh, they raised the same question uh, of divorce. And Jesus uh, answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, uh, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. So that was the first wedding that took place between Adam and Eve. And it goes on to say in verse 7, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they, shall, they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain but one flesh. And verse 9, What, what therefore God has joined together, uh, let no man put asunder. So that's a good uh, verse to remember. Uh, when we come together in a marriage, when we come together in a covenant uh, relationship, uh, if it is uh, done uh, by God, then he's the one who's putting the husband and the wife uh, together. And there is no reason uh, for them to separate, uh, no matter what the conditions may be, no matter what the situation might be. Uh, there should always be a path uh, to reconcile and to set things right. And in verse 5, it speaks about a beautiful thing, which is the year of Jubilee that we say. Uh, it says, when a man had taken uh, a new wife, uh, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home for one year, and he shall cheer up his wife, uh, which he had taken. So we see that the first year after marriage uh, is reserved uh, for the, here it talks about husband, but obviously uh, husband and wife, uh, they should focus uh, on the marriage and try to build the marriage uh, in the first year. And if the husband is going to war, then it's quite possible that he might get killed uh, in war and the wife uh, would be left behind uh, as a widow at a very young age. And it's quite possible they may also have an unborn child uh, at that point. So it would be <coughs> a double tragedy uh, for them. So that is why in verse 5, it says, uh, for the first year, uh, the newly wed husband, uh, he should be uh, excused from war and from any other task. Okay, so we've seen this before where uh, it speaks about the lending laws in verses 6 and also uh, 10 uh, through 30. So earlier we saw in Deuteronomy 23, 19, that uh, if you're lending uh, within the community uh, of believers, or in case of Israelites, it would be within their community, uh, they should not charge uh, interest. And in this chapter, it speaks about uh, you should not take uh, necessities uh, of the borrower as a collateral, uh, you should not take a woman's uh, clothing as pledge in verse 17. 
And verses 10 to 12 says uh, we should deal uh, respectfully uh, with the borrowers. So at the end of the day, uh, we need to be compassionate uh, to the poor and we should not exploit uh, their circumstances. Uh, so in verse 7, it says, uh, no man shall take the nether or the upper uh, millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life uh, to pledge. So here the uh, principle is uh, we should not take uh, someone's uh, livelihood uh, as a collateral, because then we are putting them in a difficult uh, situation and we are making a bad situation worse. So here it uh, speaks about millstone. Uh, which is used to grind grain. So if you take away their livelihood, then uh, their situation will keep getting worse uh, rather than getting better. So non-essential items can be taken as collateral. And verses 10 to 13 uh, speaks about dealing uh, respectfully uh, with the uh, borrowers. Uh, so, so here we are told that we should uh, wait uh, outside, as it says in verse 10, it says, when you lend, to thy brother anything, uh, you shall not go into his house uh, to fetch the pledge uh, or to collect the pledge. So that could be seen uh, as very insulting, uh, especially uh, if you're going to collect, if you're going to walk uh, into the house and forcefully take away the pledge uh, in the presence uh, of his family, then it would be seen as something uh, very insulting. So instead, they are told that they should wait outside uh, to collect the pledge. And if the pledge is an essential item, uh, like warm clothing, which they would need for the night, and if that is what they have given as collateral for the loan, then uh, even if he takes it away, uh, it should be given back uh, in the night or by sunset uh, so that they can be kept warm and use the item. And verse 7 uh, speaks about kidnapping, or here it says stealing. So here it says, if a man be found stealing uh, any of his brethren of the children of Israel and maketh merchandise of him or selleth him, then that thief uh, shall die, and thou shalt put away evil from among you. So here again, the principle is we should not treat people uh, as merchandise, and uh, kidnapping... Uh, is often done uh, to sell someone as slavery. So you're using people to make money. So that should not be the case. And kidnapping is seen as equivalent to death because once you're kidnapped, uh, you're separated from your family uh, and your roots. Uh, even as we see uh, in the case of Joseph, when he was uh, taken away as a slave, so he, uh, he was separated uh, from his family. So that is seen as something unacceptable. And the punishment for that is death, uh, as we also read in Exodus uh, 21 and verse 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or if he be found in his hand, uh, he shall surely be put to death. Yeah. So here again, uh, it seems more like a practical advice. So if there is some kind of skin disease or which can be uh, contagious or that can spread uh, within the community, so the expectation is they would be kept out so that uh, it, it doesn't spread uh, within the community. So for many of the diseases that they had uh, in those days, maybe there was no cure or maybe there was no uh, short-term solution. So to avoid uh, spreading of that, uh, they were kept out. 
And it quotes an example about Miriam, who was Moses' daughter, uh, sister, sorry. And she was also kept out uh, for seven days. And we know that uh, Miriam, she uh, rebelled uh, against uh, the leadership of Moses. And as a punishment, she was made uh, leprous that we read about in Numbers 12.10. Uh, and because of that uh, disease, uh, she was also kept uh, out of the camp uh, for seven days. And in verses uh, 14 and 15, uh, it speaks about treating uh, laborers, that we should not uh, oppress them. Uh, we should pay fair wage uh, to laborers that we are hiring, and we should also pay them on time. So it especially applies uh, to those day laborers uh, who are expecting to get paid every day uh, so that they can pay the bills or they can pay for their food and stuff like that. So for those kind of people where they are dependent on the daily wages, uh, they should not be exploited. Uh, they should be paid on time and they should also be given uh, fair wages. And it goes on to say uh, in verse 15, uh, that if those laborers, uh, if they cry unto the Lord, uh, it will be a sin. So we know that the Lord hears uh, the cry of the weak. So if, if we are exploiting uh, laborers or those who are working under us, and if you're not paying them uh, fair wages or on time, uh, it would be seen as a sin by the Lord, and he will uh, chastise us or he will punish us. And in Jeremiah 22, 13, it says, uh, O unto him uh, that buildeth his house by unrighteousness. So it speaks about uh, making wealth or building our house or building our riches by unrighteousness. So one way to be unrighteous uh, is not to be fair uh, to the laborers or not uh, doing the right thing. And it goes on to say uh, that useth his neighbor's service uh, without wages and giveth him not uh, for his work. So we see that that happens uh, even today. It happens in this country. It happens around the world uh, where the poor are often exploited uh, because of their conditions. Uh, maybe they are not paid fully or they are not paid on time. And verse 16, we can read, uh, which speaks about the uh, the consequences of sin, uh, whether they pass on to the next uh, generation, uh, or the question is, uh, are the children uh, responsible uh, for the sins of parents, or are the parents uh, responsible uh, for the sins of the children? Yeah, so this is an important uh, subject, and oftentimes there is controversy about uh, whether the consequences of sin uh, are passed on to the next uh, generation. So when we talk about sin, the Bible says uh, in 1 John 3, 4, uh, whosoever committeth sin uh, transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So anytime we go against the law, uh, we are committing a sin. And when we come to Romans uh, 5, 12, uh, it reminds us that the source of sin uh, was the disobedience of Adam. So that is where the root of sin is, which means uh, every child uh, who is born into this world uh, is born as a sinner. But at the same time, in the same chapter, in Romans uh, 5.19, uh, it speaks about how the original sin has been reversed uh, by the obedience uh, of Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, for as by one man's uh, disobedience, 
many were made sinners. So it's speaking about Adam, through whose uh, disobedience, uh, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, which is Lord Jesus Christ, uh, shall many be made righteous. So in verse 16, uh, it is reminding us that the sin uh, is personal. Uh, so the sin that we commit is based on the choices uh, that we make. Uh, it is based on the free will that we have. Uh, so we always have a choice uh, to make the right decision or to make the wrong decision. So sin is always a personal thing. And since uh, sin is personal and God is just, uh, the punishment is also personal. And that is why we also say that the salvation uh, is also a personal experience. So just because we are born in a godly family or in a Christian family, uh, that doesn't give us the gift of salvation. Uh, in the same way, uh, if you are born in an unbeliever's family, that does not mean that we cannot get salvation because uh, salvation is a personal thing uh, that we have to confess our sins and receive Lord Jesus Christ uh, as our personal savior. So verse 16 is reminding us that we are not responsible uh, for the sins of others. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we need to be careful that the sins that we commit can obviously affect others. So we see that uh, in the example of uh, David, uh, when he committed the sin, uh, it obviously affected uh, Bathsheba, it affected her husband, uh, and it also affected the son that they had. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, uh, it reminds us of the personal judgment. It says, uh, we all must appear. Uh, before the judgment uh, seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. And again, in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, uh, it reinforces the same thing, that soul that sinneth, uh, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of his father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So sin is uh, personal, and the punishment is also personal. And the chapter ends uh, with some uh, thoughts on showing compassion uh, to the stranger, uh, to the fatherless, and the widow. Okay, so it speaks about a couple of things. Uh, it speaks about the collateral on a loan. Uh, so it goes back to the same subject that uh, we should be just uh, in our dealings, uh, even uh, so the justice uh, should be fair, uh, it should not be biased, and it also says that we should not take a woman's uh, clothing as a pledge, so that is something that is essential. So the woman's clothing uh, also serves uh, in wintertime, it would be used uh, to keep her warm. And that is why even in verse 13, uh, we read that uh, do not use, take away the raiment, uh, which is used to sleep and to keep uh, the person warm. So it's an essential item. So it should not be taken away, uh, even if it's a collateral. And in verses uh, 19 through 22, uh, it speaks about the gleaning laws uh, with an emphasis on the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, uh, which we see mentioned in verse 19, 20 and also 21. So the gleaning laws are basically that we should be kind and we should leave uh, some portion of the harvest uh, for the poor. And we read about that also in Leviticus uh, 23, verse 22, 
where it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, uh, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corner of thy field when thou reapest, uh, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and unto the stranger. Uh, I am the Lord your God. So here it's saying that uh, when we have a harvest, uh, we shall leave something uh, for the poor and we should not wipe it uh, completely clean or we should not completely collect 100% uh, of the harvest. Uh, some of the harvest uh, should be left for the poor uh, and the needy. And we should also keep in mind that this portion uh, is their right. So we should not see it as a charity. That's something that we are uh, giving away and we should be proud that we are giving it away. But we should see it as God's commandment that we should leave a certain portion uh, for the poor and the needy. And God is the one who owns uh, all of the land that was given to the Israelites. So everyone uh, should benefit uh, from the fruit of the harvest. Uh, not only those who own the land, but also the people who are living in the land uh, who may not possess that. And the reason is given to us in verse 18 and 22, even as we saw last week. Uh, at one point, uh, Israelites, uh, they were also aliens. Uh, they were also servants uh, in a foreign land. And in the foreign land, uh, they were also taken care of. They were fed and they were able to take care of their needs. So now that uh, they are in their own land, uh, they should exercise the same uh, compassion and kindness uh, to those who are less fortunate. That's where the chapter ends. So chapter uh, 24 uh, speaks about a lot of things uh, in the context of relationship, uh, in the context of love and compassion. So we saw that uh, marriage uh, is something that is uh, instituted by God. And God's desire is that once we enter, uh, into a marriage covenant, uh, it should be a lifetime uh, commitment. So even though uh, there is an exit uh, that is given to us uh, in the context of adultery, but God's desire is that uh, no matter what the situation is, uh, our first step uh, should be able to forgive and to reconcile and to maintain that union. And what God has uh, brought together, uh, no one should try to break uh, outsiders or insiders, uh, we should try to restore uh, rather than to break uh, the relationship. Uh, even though uh, we may have legal ways of doing it, uh, we should follow what the scripture says. And we continued with the thought on lending, that when we are lending to others, uh, we should not uh, charge interest uh, within the community. And we should also be compassionate uh, in not using uh, things as collateral. Uh, which are essential items. And if we need to get the collateral, then we should still show respect uh, to the poor. So at the end of the day, whether someone is rich or poor, uh, they are still uh, people who have been created by God in his own image. So they should be given that respect uh, as people who have been created by God. And we talked about intergenerational sins. So the sins are always uh, personal. So the consequences of sins uh, cannot be transferred uh, from one person to the next. Uh, a child has to bear the consequences of their sins, and parents have to bear uh, the consequences of their sins. And again, in the context of laborers, we saw that we need to treat the laborers uh, with respect, uh, especially those 
uh, who are poor. Uh, they should be paid on time and they should be paid uh, fair wages. And we concluded with the gleaning laws where a certain part of the harvest uh, should be kept for the poor and the fatherless and the stranger and the widow.